Welcome back to our series, My Best Church Life, and our focus on just church boiled down to one, just you and Jesus and his word. And so before we jump into our message, let's ask God to bless us and with his word, and we'll do so in a short prayer. Let's pray. Sanctify us, O Lord. Just set us apart. Choose us to be yours forevermore. And make us of much good with a blessed life, a life to glorify you, to glorify you in service to others. Yes, sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. All right, I'm going to start off with a question that gets really deep, really intense for you. For me, for sure. Uh, and here it is. Would you survive, would you survive, worst case scenario, if it happened, global crisis, national crisis, at least community crisis, home crisis, would you survive if it all just depended on you, to you to make it go, to make it work? So what I'm thinking, and again, God forbid, what if there was some kind of natural disaster and there was food shortages everywhere? Or what if there was some kind of pandemic again? We pray that we would never revisit the pandemic of 2020, but what if it was worse? Or what if we were invaded by foreign enemies, uh, Russia, or maybe China, or maybe Canada? From <laughs> not that we're good people up north, but but let's just say we have again, God forbid, life as we know it. It just comes to an end, and it's on you. You gotta live off the grid. You. You've got to work the land. You've got to do whatever they used to do in the pioneer days. You can tell I'm already ill-equipped. I just would not survive. In fact, I asked my wife, I said, you know what, what would happen if the economy collapsed or whatever? Like, do you think? And I was kind of feeling maybe a little manly, like, you know, I'd figure it out, right, honey? You know, together we do this. She's like, we don't have a chance. No, we don't. <laughs> we are not going to survive. Probably true, probably true. Oh, she'll survive, but for me, probably not. So I got a little bit nervous about that. I was like, all right, I'm going to figure this out. I, you know, and as I was prepping for this message, I started to get paranoid and freak out, I guess. So I did what any sane person would do. You look for a book, and you order something off of Amazon. So I ordered this book, and I can't recommend it because, I honestly, I ordered this maybe a few weeks ago. I have not looked at one page yet. I just... Got other things I guess I got to do. It's Prepper's Long-Term Survival Guide... I get no royalties for this, by the way, just uh, letting you know what I ordered. Food, shelter, security, off-the-grid power, and more life-saving strategies for self-sufficient living. Sounds like a plan, right? But then I noticed it's second edition, so I was like, well, what was wrong with the first edition? <laughs> Did I miss some world calamity or something? I don't know. Okay, so hopefully, hopefully it would work. Maybe another reason why I didn't really look into that yet is... Uh, well, you and I, we, we got a little secret, a little refuge that we always can turn to, and that's our God, which doesn't mean we can't be prepared or shouldn't be prepared, but in the end, Psalm 50 reminds us, call upon me, call upon the Lord in the day of trouble, I will deliver you, you'll honor me. That's my go-to, that's my survival guide, just one passage there and a whole host of others. Which got me to thinking, well, let, let's 
just kind of change that question around a little bit. Would you survive if it just depended on you spiritually? Let's say there weren't any church. There, there wasn't uh, 92 Ministries, St. Peter the Core. There wasn't this gather route we could sink into Jesus and grow this way corporately. It's a body of believers at worship and just no church around. Would I survive? Would you survive still? Like if we revisited the days of Adam and Eve in the garden, like they didn't have the core to go to. They didn't have any church. It was just those two. Or if it was like Noah coming off the ark, only eight people, just his family. What if that were you? Would, would you survive? And, and there was no small groups, and we just launched those, right? So hopefully you're connected to a small group. If not, this time around in January, uh, when we start them up again, get connected, doing life with 6 to 8 to 12. It's just a way that we can bear one another's burdens, give life in the Word. But let's say that was gone, our, our day school was gone at St. Peter, and, and it was just you. It's just you as a family unit of one, if, if you're a family unit of one, or if you've got kids entrusted to you, or if you're married and a spouse, it's just you. Would you survive? Even more, would you thrive? So today we're, we're going to contemplate that question. If there was no gather route for worship, no group route where you could do life together with others for one hour, two hours, maybe more, but if it just came down to a church of one, would you have your best church life? even more, your best life. As we wrestle with that thought, I want to bring it to one of our core values then. And I think this is a beautiful time of year to kind of reflect a little bit of how God has designed his, his gospel efforts, ministries, church at large, and how we've kind of come up with some shorthand, different ways to remember some of the essentials. So if you're taking notes today, maybe fill in this thought about faith, because that's what it all boils down to, having your best church life, is having a vibrant, living, flourishing faith. And if we had to exclude gathering together in worship and grouping together, and if it just came down to you, would you see why we might have this as a core value for 92 Ministries? Faith is homegrown. And we'll just fill in that blank here. We'll leave the other one for a moment. Did you know that's one of our core values here? Which, by the way, we find from the scripture, this idea that faith isn't just given and enriched within the four walls of the church or in small household gatherings with other Christians, but even in your own home when you're all by yourself. In fact, we would argue that faith is enriched just as much there, if not more there, than it could be when we gather in this place. Faith is homegrown. That's a core value, kind of a, a mission thought for us as we go about our lives. Uh, it's right up there with, maybe you've heard some of the other core values. Uh, 200 proof, grace, and truth, right? You've heard that? Raise your hand if you've, you've heard that one before. Oh, good. Okay, so you've heard some of our core values. Or, or maybe you've heard uh, unique but united, or united and unique. St. Peter's campus is quite different than the Coors campus, which is quite different than the St. Peter school campus, which is different than the Lighthouse ministry offering, which is different than the church online, which is different than what small groups might look like here or there. So we've got a lot of unique offerings, a lot of unique ways to be of encouragement to one another, and all of them are blessed by God, we're convinced. And yet, these differences don't divide us. We're still united. 
So that one of our core key values for the group root and so on too. Faith is homegrown. That's right up there with the other values. The, the other things like being all things to all people, which is where 922 comes from, 1 Corinthians 9.22. We want to be all things to all people so that by all possible means within the love and law of Christ, we might just rescue some with the good news of Jesus. So all things for the lost, another value, virtue. Homegrown faith. We really believe that, which is really an encouragement, I would think, for you. Uh, if, if we ever just get into a pattern, we're just saying, come to us, come here, fill up your calendar. It's all about being here. We, we don't want to give that impression. We want to say, no, we want to go with you in spirit and prayer and perhaps in person to encourage you where life really happens. By God's design in your home, we want to be a church that is for your family. Whether you're a family of one or a family of many, if you're married, we, we want to be there for you as a church that supports marriage. If you're single, like the Apostle Paul, like Jesus, we want to be there in your singleness and support you and, and offer all the companionship that you can find among the body of believers, but see it flourish at home. It's a core value and today, again, we're wrestling with this thought, what if it all depended then, your survival of just faith and homegrown, and that's all you had, just the grow root, would you survive if it all depended on you? Well, a little spoiler alert. At the end of the message today, I'm going to let you know it doesn't depend on you. <laughs> so praise God. Jesus is not about burdening you. And with such life and death and eternal uh, nature of, of things, you'll never be put in a position where it just depends on you. And so if we're going to speak this way, it's just for this message here, just to emphasize the importance of the grow root, still celebrating that faith is a gift from God. Faith comes from hearing his word. And that is the message of Christ. And that's why we, we gather and celebrate baptism, which is his word with a tangible gift Attached to water. And again, it's all his doing, right? That's why we baptize infants, because they didn't choose. Ah, but God chose us. And there's the word that promises he can do the impossible. He can create faith in a child that can't even say ma. And we hear the word proclaimed, right? This is where God makes us his children. It's not for what we've done or any expectations to fulfill. It's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper, because this is something God has given in, with, and under the bread and wine, there he comes to us in his real presence with forgiveness and grace for people who have neither earned or deserved it. So faith is God-grown, and it is enriched by his word alone. So if we're going to talk about keeping that alive, surviving, thriving, then let it just be in our response to what God has already done. And, and removing obstacles that get in the way of being in the Word of God at home. That, that's what we're driving for. And we didn't come up with this. We five pastors or leadership team or, or God's people here at 92 Ministries. Uh, we've been stealing everything from the Bible, <laughs> which is good, right? We just rip off everything from the Bible, but that's good. God wants us to rip off everything he's got. And so I, I want to share with you how this whole idea of how important the home is and where faith has really grown, how well, God's been talking about this in his word for thousands of years. 
I want to share with you some words from Moses. He was the first inspired writer of the Bible, wrote the first five books of the Bible. In his last sermon, last book, Deuteronomy it's called, he retells all of God's love for his people and his law. And after five chapters of just extolling the glory and grace and love of God and how he's really rescued a people that were once enslaved, but now they're free, he says, here's how you can respond. Here's how you live. And he brings up the grow root. You'd think he'd bring up the gather root or the group root, and he does in other places. But first things first, he really talks about the home. He says this. So talk about these things. In other words, God's word and all his love and his will and his plans for you. Talk about those things when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, when you go to Quick Trip for any snacks or whatever. That's, he was thinking of Quick Trip, whatever. Little short adventures here, there. I don't get any royalties from that either, but okay. So whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, right, talk about God's love, his word, his plans, his fingerprints are everywhere. Just we're raising our awareness to that. Take his word, tie them as symbols. This is figurative. A language is an idiom in the Hebrew. Tie them as symbols on your hands. That means whatever you put your hands to, let God's word be all over it. God's word, his purpose, be there. The driving force behind it and what you do. And bind them, his words, to your foreheads. Again, whatever your thoughts are thinking, let it just be claimed and uh, captivated by God's word, his thoughts, not your own. So much so that you write them on the door frames of your houses and, and, and on your gates. In other words, whatever you do, which is visible to the world, let it all be colored by, expressed by, um, permeated by God's word. Let everyone know what you're about. That's Moses' design for real following of Jesus' discipleship, we might say, of where faith flourishes. It's not in the walls of the church. It's in the walls of your home. And I love it that hundreds, well, hundreds of years later, when the first hymnal came out in the Bible, it's called the Book of Psalms, the first hymn that was placed to preface it all, some 150, we find this description of, well, how we flourish, how we not only survive, but thrive. The best church life comes down to one, but not just best church life, the best life of all. He, he says this, the psalmist writes, how blessed, that's the biblical way of saying truly happy, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, who does not stand on the path with sinners, who does not sit in a meeting with mockers, so he avoids all of that that's empty, that's corrupt, that's broken, that's sad. Even the happy moments aren't fulfilling there. He escapes that for the grow root. His delight is in the teaching of the Lord, and on his teaching he meditates day and night. It's a picture 24-7, 365, immersed in the Word, thinking about the Word. Something you can't do just at church and just in group. Now he says this, and does this sound familiar for 92? He's like a tree planted beside streams of water which yields its fruit in season and its leaves do not wither. Everything he does prospers. He looks like a tree with roots planted in Jesus. 
with the Spirit's fruits coming out in their season. You can see, we rip off the Bible all the time. That's where we get our roots idea. And notice it's the grow root. Uh, so if you're filling in the blank, I, this is what we mean with our shorthand, quick phrase, how's your grow root? How is your walk with Jesus just one-on-one at home? And if you have a spouse, kids, how are they doing if you're the one that's kind of blazing that trail? We're looking to make a stronger grow root. And I want to convince you of the why. Again, I don't want this to be just another thing that you got to add on your calendar because, well, you don't have enough to do. How many of you have enough to do? I think we all probably have enough to do, right? But this is God's way of something extra, yes, on the calendar, but it, it lightens the load of everything else. And maybe it can even help us say no to things that we don't have to do and be about. We don't have to cave to pressure. So I want to wrestle with you two questions that will kind of assess how our grow root is doing. And, and it'll give you this picture of God's plans for you, that when you're in the Word, great things happen, even if great things aren't happening in your life. And the first question that I, I would like to pose to you to assess, how's your grow root? Never mind the rest of the roots just for a moment. Does Scripture fill every aspect of your life? You know, are these the things that your mind is on when you're going out, when you're coming back, when you're sitting down, lying down and getting up? Is it really on your hands and on your mind? Uh, is it expressed to the world? Does it fill and claim everything, God's word? That, that's God's desire. So if we're just going to take a look at our lives, maybe just think of today. When you got up this morning, was it God's word that was filling every thought? It was just, you got out of bed and you're like, ah, I live a blessed life. <laughs> I might not have much, but it could be less. God is good. I'm going to praise him. Or were you like me, like, oh, what time is it? I got to preach at the core. I go, oh, I, I might be late. No, am, I don't even do this anymore. I look at my phone. It's like, what, what is it? Okay, times change. Does God's thoughts motivate you? Or, or when you get up in the morning, you already feel tired? Do you already feel stressed? Are you already just trying to muster enough strength to get through another day? When you got up to get breakfast, if you had breakfast and you were putting the salsa on the scrambled eggs or just maybe drinking a cup of coffee, were you thinking, ah, God, he's gifted this to me and he's blessed this and what a day that's ahead, even if it's not such a great day. With our kids that were here today, when you were brushing your teeth this morning or maybe that comes a little bit later in the afternoon, <laughs> I don't. Do you brush your teeth like, oh, this is great. God's thoughts. He gave me these teeth. What a gift. I want to keep them for my whole life if I can or whatever. And so I might praise God for real life. And then when we go about our day, whether it's to church or to work, or maybe it's leisure time, is it because God's word is really directing us? Because there's life. I mean, wherever God is, there's life. This is God's thoughts, his mind. This is where we meet him. Apart from that, it's just empty. It's existing. It's, it's not really life, and so often it's broken. And so how is our life? Is it captivated entirely by God's word? I, we could fill in the blank this way. Is everything you think, say, and do because Jesus? Because Jesus. If somebody were to ask you, like, well, why do you have the job you have? 
Why do you do what you do? Why do you live where you live? Why would you buy that house that you bought? Or live in the apartment that you do? Why do you make your choices? Why do you vacation here or there? Why do you raise your kids if you have them the way you are? And do you get the sense that you would answer, um, as I would at times, like, I don't know. I guess I never really thought about that. I guess this is how I was raised. Or would it be, oh, because Jesus. And when you celebrate your good times and you, you live for the weekend maybe, is it for more than just the weekend? Or are you just trying to escape the things of this life? I know I've been there. But could you say, oh, I'm celebrating this good time because this is because Jesus. And, and this is how I cope with the bad times. I, I don't just run to the bottle or run for this escape or throw myself into that. Oh, but I reflect, and it's because Jesus that I handle it the way I do. And whenever I get bitter and tired and angry, I, I remember Jesus because he can take that burden away. So when I grieve, well, I'm going to grieve because of Jesus and how he has plans for me. I'm not going to grieve like the rest of the world. I'm not going to cope like the rest of the world, but because Jesus. And again, I'm ripping off the scriptures here. I'm thinking of the Apostle Paul and what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And so if we fill in the next thought here, for the love of Christ compels us. This whole idea of living your life because of Jesus, the love of Christ compelling us, this is a biblical thought. And Paul spells it out this way in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, and there's no qualifiers here. For the love of Christ compels us. Whether you're having scrambled eggs, getting up to go to work, going out to play golf, or if you're grieving beside the graveside of a loved one, what is the love of Christ that compels us? Why? Because we have come to this conclusion. One died for all, and therefore all died. All manner of living, all existing, it's done away with. Why? Because Christ put that all to death on the cross. And to be honest, that's a good thing. Again, because apart from God and, and being immersed in his thoughts, his word, in Jesus' love, what is there? It's just existing. It's, it's like Solomon would say in Ecclesiastes, it's just meaningless. Where's it heading? What lasting impact? Oh, so Christ came and he died for all of that. So we all died. And he died for all so that those who would live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died in their place and was raised to new life, was raised again, a new way to be human, where everything is meaningful because Jesus Christ's love compels us. So, so we ask ourselves, is God's word permeating your entire life? Is it claiming everything, every thought, word, and action? It isn't in my life just yet. But I see this beautiful picture. I, I see what it could be. And so it just fires me up to live more, to let God claim it all. I don't want to be a Martha. I want to be a Mary. And just sit at Jesus' feet and see how he changes everything. Is that how you're feeling when you consider the grow root? If not, ah, here's an opportunity. Another question I want us to wrestle with is, do you interact with God and then with others the way God interacts with us? See, this is the goal of having your life completely captivated by God's word. 
To have your best church life, in other words, or your best life, it's to live like God does towards others. And what do we see God doing when he interacts with others? It's never about him, is it? It's always about rescue and redemption and dying so that others might have life. So to fill in these thoughts here, notice how God blesses both the righteous and the wicked, or we could say the lovable and the unlovable. Is that how you view everyone else in your life? Whether your spouse in this moment, whether good times or bad times, whether your children in this moment, whether they're listening or not, or your coworkers or friends or your enemies, do you just love them anyway? Like God loves the whole world? Jesus says this in Matthew 5, and we see the connection. See, he came, he died to put everything to death so that we might have new life, and this is what it looks like. He says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, who hurt you. Why? So that you may be children of your Father who is in heaven, so that you might be, well, images of God and his image. You might be chips off the old block. Notice what he does. He makes his son to rise on the evil and the good, since rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's how he treats everybody. Friends, how's your grow root? If, if God's word captivates everything, then we'll find this to be the case. We start looking at other people differently. For the goal of God captivating our whole life is freedom, and it's freedom to not be selfish, but to be selfless. Do you look at other people as precious souls to serve? Or are they just objects that are here to either serve you or to not get in your way? To be removed if they get in the way of your happiness. Jesus wants to claim it all, claim our very thoughts, be in the word every day, thinking, meditating on his word day and night. Why? So that we have this new perspective of life. So that we're not burdened with emptiness and decay and corruption, where this life just doesn't become about us. Some of the most unhappy people live that way. But it becomes about others. And we're just renewed in the zeal and strength of Christ, where, well, we consume God's grace and we have enough for others. Again, I think back to what the Apostle Paul said. In that 2 Corinthians 5.14 passage, he puts it this way, that we have views of others like God, not according to the flesh, not according to the sinful self anymore. And again, going back to 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ compels us. Here's the concluding part, the goal that's fulfilled. As a result, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. We don't look at other people as people who should be serving us but people to be loved, whether they're lovable or not. And so how's your grow root? If you see other people as people to serve, and you're renewed by that, even if they're a thorn in your side or crucifying you, whether it's your enemies, co-workers, friends, children, or spouse, you just love them anyway. Do you find the strength and the wisdom to do that? If not, ah, here's your opportunity. This is where the grow root is beautiful and essential. And, and so in summary, only with a, a strong grow root 
are the answers yes to those questions. I would, I would contend that the group route and the gather route can't get you to that point where God's word just captivates everything in your life and you love others like Christ has so loved us. And so how's your grow route? Which is why we find throughout the scriptures thoughts like this from Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. There's no qualifier there. It's not just within the four walls of the church or as you group together, but everywhere, every day. Just let God's word fill your life. Christ's word dwell in you richly, and he'll take care of the rest. You see, this is the why and the reason Jesus said in Luke chapter 10.42, few things are needed. In fact, there's only one thing that you need. Mary's chosen it. See, she's in the Word. She's with me. And she's at home. One thing needed. So if we were going to walk away from the sermon today, you got one takeaway. Here's our goal as it regards this route. For your best church life, your best life. Own your Bible. Just get to know your Bible because the more you do, the more you get God's thoughts, captivates everything, and you can live for others. And God says, trust me, that's the best life. It's not about what happens for you. I'll take care of that. You just love others. And the only way you can is if Christ's love is there renewing you every waking moment. So if you own your Bible... If you, and if you don't know where to start, we can help you with that. If you have a good feel for it, great, keep at it. Uh, highlight your Bible, own your Bible, use your Bible, abuse your Bible. Get it so worn out that you got to put duct tape on the binder. Knowing the Word is a blessed life. And again, that spoiler alert, we come back to it. Don't do it because you're afraid. Without, you won't survive. Uh, perfect love drives out fear. But do it because the Bible says, are you worried? Do you feel like you're not going to make it? Then sit with me. Let me be your enoughness, your righteousness, Jesus says. Let, let, let me be the grace that covers all your guilt and your shame and your regret and your sins. You're my child. Let me, let me speak those words into you always. Let me rise anew with you. So that every day is a day where you leap out of bed and you say, because Jesus. May God give us such a grow root as that. Amen.